What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Recover Out Loud, episode number 62, brought to you by the Antisocial Network. Today, we have a pretty awesome guest out of New York. Ann Reed, how are you doing, Ann? I am doing fine, Sean. Thanks for having me. Ah, thank you for, for volunteering your time. We've had a little bit of scheduling deconfliction, whether it was me, whether it's you. Hey, it happens, but we're here now and we're doing it live. Not live, but recording. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, Ann, um, would you like to give a formal, formal introduction of yourself? <laughs> sure. I don't know. Formal may not go very well with me, okay. but I okay. can certainly do an introduction. My name is Ann Reed, and I am working as a happiness coach because I believe being happy is a choice because I don't know if your life is like mine, but there are always things that happen that aren't so perfect or the way I wanted them to go or that caused me grief and pain. So I am now helping people take what is going on in their life, their life as it is now, and I'm actually teaching some skills that we can all do that can, it, you know what, it's really an attitude adjustment because I believe that our thoughts create our reality. And if we're really in angry, and may I say pissed off on your show, you can Yeah, yeah, say whatever okay. you want. Say whatever And something you want. that makes you uh, a little pissy. Um, you can also choose to think that it really didn't mean anything or nobody got hurt or whatever. You can just change what you want to think about it. So my goal, I have a big goal and I'm stating it out loud because then I become accountable yes, is I, I want to help make a million people happier within the next five years. That is a huge goal, but it is absolutely huge. achievable and it's attainable. Yes. And it's, you know what I do? I get up every day. I do some research. I think about my clients. I also have a show on Bold Brave TV called Be Happier in Spite of Your Life, um, which is out on about 30 platforms, including Spotify. Spotify, uh, going to be on Amazon TV, Amazon podcast, et cetera, et cetera, Roku, da, 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 <laughs> a whole group. But anyway, I really don't think we have to be miserable, but we do need to be accountable and we do need to step up to the plate, uh, do a fearless moral inventory. Yes. The one thing I didn't say is I'm a very grateful member of Al-Anon, which I think really dovetails perfectly with you, Sean. It's kind of a different side of your podcast. But I truly would not be the person I am today uh, with my compassion and understanding and really depth of what people have to go through to change their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think Al-Anon uh, is, is a great program. Uh, I was in Al-Anon at one point and then uh, I kind of flipped. Went to, hey, you know, that's that's kind of what happens sometimes. But uh, yeah, Al-Anon Al is an amazing program. And uh, that's one of the three foundations of recovery. And I think it's, it's absolutely a beautiful program. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But okay. the weather, what is the weather like in New York right now, Ann? Cold and gray and rainy, apparently. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> but you know. the spring flowers are out. 
I still have tulips. You can see behind me, I just picked those in my yard. So we're in that kind of in between of horrible days and nice days that are kind of teasing us that we're going to have great weather soon. <laughs> so you like to, you, you, you're a gardener. You like to garden? You know, it's one of the ways that I create happiness for myself. It's not something I always did, but it there's something about watching something grow, uh, seeing it go through its life cycle. Um, I also love color. And I'm like a little kid when I go out and something else is up and blooming. And there's one of the things that I personally find that is very centering and grounding, which is not a pun, because I actually like standing outside on the ground in the right weather. I don't do it in January. <laughs> but actually having my feet on the ground and my hands in the dirt is truly centering and grounding to me. I mean, it's one of the ways that I keep my own mental health um, above par. So. Uh Absolutely. Or you know, should I say below par? Which way am I going on par? <laughs> depends on the day. Analogy incorrectly. Depends on Better. the day. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, you know, and this is, and, and you're going to hear it first. Anybody who listens to this or sees me regularly and doesn't know, I too like gardening. Oh, um, and we've not I, discussed that. So No, we didn't. We didn't. But I, right. you know, when I first got into recovery, uh, you know, one of my recovery coaches was like, Hey, um, do something, dare to do something different that you've never done before. Uh, maybe that you have not wanted to always do, but try something different. And so like, I looked at my house and I was like, this is just so bland, right? Like there's yeah. nothing there. There's, there's, there's vinyling on the, on the, on the outside, there's windows, but there's nothing that stands out to me. Nothing that out. makes it a home. As nothing that makes a it a house. Right, right. So, so I was like, I'm going to pick up gardening, right? And and at first, like in my brain, I was like, Come on, dude, women don't or only women garden, right? But and I, that is not true. That is not true. You heard that here first. Not true. Women are not the only ones that garden. And so I went and picked up a whole bunch of, of seeds and I just threw them in a bowl. I didn't even know what it was. I just threw it in a bowl, mixed them all together, and planted them in the ground. And a few months later, I had these beautiful flowers of, you know, sunflowers all over the place. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And I just kept doing it over and over again. And so now here in West Virginia, the, the weather is beautiful. And so I'm going to start gardening again. I just got to find a spot to put them in. Well, it is a trick, particularly we're both on the East Coast, but watching when that last frost is. I love reading on the back of the seed packets, whether it's vegetables or flowers or whatever. It's like plant after the last frost. And I'm like, well, if I knew when that was, I would. <laughs> right. Right. When is the last? Come on. Yes. I, which day is that? Is it April 22nd or May 16th? Right. Right. So. The wet Mother nature, she's wild. Um, speaking of flowers, what is your favorite flower? Probably peonies. Nice. I love the bushes. I mean, they're pretty, the leaves. Mm -hmm. I love the scent. Yeah. Like I used to have a lot of roses too. And now it seems like so many of the seeds and the plants have been bred for how they look. Yeah. 
And to me, the smell is equally important. And I, th I, you know, I've wondered like, where did that come from? But I grew up in Virginia on a farm and my mom did just a little bit of gardening, but she had one really nice rose bush and you'd walk out and be like, oh, it just always smelled so good, made me happy. And then she also planted petunias. There was kind of a circle that she would fill with petunias every year. And we used to sit outside in the evening. And if the breeze was blowing, you'd get the scent from the petunias. Wow. And now if you go buy them, they look nice, but they don't have any smell. Yeah, there's no scent to them. Yeah, it's really weird. My, fa my favorite is the lilac. Um, and yeah, that's another favorite. Oh, I love I love the smell of lilacs, but like I, I take a walk around around the uh, the neighborhood um, after dinner and walk right past this neighbor's house, and they have a lilac bush, and I just stop there for a second. I'm like, yeah, it smells good. Yeah, you know, might get my daily lilac charge. But anyways, anyways, we're gonna move on and. Uh, and would you would you tell us what it was like in your uh, in your hard times? I've had a couple of really tough times in my life, and if we live long enough, we all do. So it's not unique to me. Um, I am very vulnerable to loss, and I think that it likely stems from the fact that the week after my fourth birthday, my little brother died at age two and a half of cancer. Mm -hmm. So my three-year-old year was pretty tough and my parents were pretty focused on him. And I remember going around and I would stay with my aunt one place and family friends one place. And you know, it was normal to me then. I didn't really think anything. I didn't think it was weird. And in hindsight, as a parent, I certainly understand when you don't feel like you're available to take care of another child or something, you know, putting your other kid with people that you like, love and trust certainly made sense. But it was back in the day I was not allowed to go to the funeral. I mean, you know, those things just weren't done. Yeah. Um, the, and again, hindsight, I think my parents did incredibly well, but it wasn't really what I needed. I was really young. So I learned early that you can lose something permanently. <laughs> and, you know, um, so I just, it, you know, one of my probably fatal flaws is that I can kind of cling to things. And I think it, you know, other people don't know till maybe their 20s or 30s that you can lose loved ones. But I got that life lesson early. So then my father died. I had really just launched and left the house and moved out of state and whatever. And he died very suddenly. And I went into a clinical depression. And I, I have to say that 
I was so depressed. I really couldn't even think about suicide, which I know sounds weird <laughs> unless you've been there. But it wasn't like I had so, uh, suicidal ideation that I wanted to kill myself. I didn't even have the energy or bandwidth to even think about it. And I mean, looking back now with my training and experience and whatever, that is totally yeah. a very dark place to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I can I can understand that. Uh, you dealt with a lot of grief and loss really young. Well, and I've gone through more, but that, you know, I wouldn't recommend the experience. Um of getting that depressed or losing your parent before you're ready to, yeah. but it was what got me into therapy. And, you know, there are always gifts that you're given when you need them, if you're open to them. And I had the most wonderful, wise, compassionate um, therapist who really got me through it and who gave me a really good grounding for a lot of the things that I've done since then. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't sign up to lose my brother and my dad again, but I grew and became who I am with more of a capacity to empathize with other people and to be able to help them navigate than I would have had if these experiences had not happened to me. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, that people that are educated and I, I, I have this this thought that like people that are educated, like book smart and, and counselors that don't necessarily have the background, they can't really relate to people that haven't, you know, that have gone through it because they haven't necessarily gone through it. Right. And yeah. you know, the fact that you're doing what you're doing now and you've been through it and, you know, you were in it, you got out of it, you worked on yourself. What was interesting, um, I ended up losing my significant other unexpectedly. And my, while I was simultaneously nursing my 90-year-old mom to her end, I mean, it was like wow. in a couple of months of each other. And my youngest daughter was in severe depression, just like totally crashing at school. Mm -hmm. And my older was away at residential treatment. And I, you know what? I actually was afraid I would crash because like the four most important people in my life were all, it, two had gone and two were in crisis. Yeah. And I really navigated it well. And I, fortunately I had a couple of friends. I even had a psychiatrist friend say, Ann, you're not one of my patients, but if you really feel like you need medication, just call me. And, you know, and that's like, oh, I mean, it was something I didn't need. I ended up not needing at all, but it, it let me know there was a floor under me and it mm -hmm. let me know somebody cared. And yeah. that was a great thing. I also, and in some of my speaking and, and in my coaching, it's where I really internalize the practice of gratitude, which I think is one of the pillars to probably sobriety, stability, definitely to happiness. Yeah. Um, and there, and again, remember I had a child too. I wasn't sure if I would have to uh, do some 
pretty major intervention for depression and went away. And I made myself every night, right when I climbed into bed, I would make myself write three to five things that I was grateful for about the day. And when I got up in the morning, I would make myself write three to five things. And I'm saying three to five because my goal was five, but there were there were a couple of months in there that I was pushing it to get three. I can remember, you know, it would be like, oh, I'm grateful. My brain's working because I remembered I said I was going to do this. Or, oh, I'm grateful because the pad and pen are beside my bed. I mean, (laughs) it was, I call it scraping bottom. Yeah. And it got easier, but it totally changes your brain chemistry. And I don't care who you are or what you're doing, but standing back and looking at the things for which you can be grateful is one of the simplest and most powerful things you can do for yourself (laughs) kind of in the present time. It just, um, it's amazing. And I didn't go into the depression, but the other thing that I realized, I had a friend who called up and said, Ann, let's go kayaking. And this was about three months after my mom had passed and five or something after Mark. And I'm like, oh, okay. And we went out. It was a gorgeous day on the water, you know, the big fluffy white clouds and blue sky, and you could see the ripples and the sparkle. And I'm like, I'm seeing in color again. And I didn't realize I hadn't been. It was kind of like one of those, wow. But it was losing two people very near and dear to me in a very short period of time. Um, I was afraid that I would backslide. And I really did okay. That's amazing. You know, there's there's science, and it's weird, there's science behind depression, apparently, when you're depressed, it change, your, your eye changes contrast, your eyes do. So that, that metaphorical thought of I am not seeing like life in color, that's true. Wow, that's interesting. I have not. Okay, that's something I'll go research. I learned that last I'm week. Nerd, so I look all this stuff up. I learned that last week and I was like, no way. And it's, gonna, it's in one of my prior recordings. But um, yeah, I was like, that is, that is insane because when I was able to step out of my, my depression, Right. I said, I feel like, you know, I took the the shades off, the blinders off. Right. There's there's something there. Well, I think real depression. I mean, when I think back when I was, you know, right after my dad died, I mean, the world was black. I mean, maybe there was a teeny bit of gray, but it's like the blinds were pulled down Mm -hmm. and I couldn't. I mean, it. It's almost like you're in a hole. I mean, when they talk about the black hole, yeah. it's it's a black hole. And the other thing that, and if you are listening to this, and if you've not suffered from depression, count that as one of the things you're grateful for. Yeah. But there's kind of a intellectual, emotional depression, I think. But I had it, it physically hurt. Mm-hmm. It hurt like in my chest or whatever. I mean, it was a real pain. Yeah. yeah. So, have you have you read the book "The Body Takes the Toll"? No, 
I've heard uh, of it, but I have, I, I'll put that on my list too. But you, you know, I have not read it, but every, every, like every Ted talk from Brene Brown, every single, yeah, I love like, her. yeah she's amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get her as a guest on the show, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, every, every, every time that somebody talks about stress, anxiety, depression, they always reference and say it takes an effect on the body. And I, I really didn't pay attention to it until I started like being able to tap into my feelings and emotions be like, okay, well, I'm, I'm feeling depressed. Why am I feeling depressed? Oh, it's reflecting in my body <laughs> or I'm angry and it's reflected in my body. So yeah. Um, Depression, I didn't realize. I'd never suffered real heartbreak until very recently, and I told you about that before yeah. the recording. My heart physically hurt, like physically hurt. I always said, oh, I'm heartbroken, but it's not until you well, I know it. some of these sayings come from somewhere, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my heart physically hurt for like a month straight. Couldn't figure it out. I, You know, it's funny because people now will say, well, where did you feel the pain? And it's like, I can't say that it was just my heart. I mean, maybe it was, but it was definitely like in my chest cavity. It just, and it didn't move. I mean, and it not, it literally and metaphorically made me want to curl into a fetal position all the time, like that protective yeah. piece. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, you decide that you want to get help and you start counseling. What was that first session like to you? Was it, was it, were you more open to receive things or was it kind of foreign for you? Um, I definitely would say it was foreign. Mm -hmm. um, one of the classic lines from my couple of years of family systems therapy, which I did after the initial one, obviously, as I said, it was such a gift that I ended up with my therapist. Um, my, my mom came to a session with me, uh, for which I am very grateful. And the therapist said, well, how did you deal with feelings in your family of origin? And my dear mother, had this totally blank look on her face, almost deer in the headlights, but blank. Mm -hmm. And there was like this silence for a minute. And, you know, like I was ready to jump in and say something, but I knew I wasn't the patient right that second or the person being spoken to. And she said, you know, I really don't think we had many of those in my family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so my classic line now is that's why I ended up in therapy. <laughs> that's it. I don't have to say anything else. Right. So it was a very enlightening moment. <laughs> I bet it was. I bet it yeah. was. You know, and, and that that's, you know, being able to trace back and, and look back at, at your family and their family's family and all that and, and see yeah. how they handle things or what their life was or like didn't. or or didn't. You know the lack of emotional support there. Um, it it really it, it's it's crazy just to see how far along as a society we've come in our mental health. I know. I mean, this was decades ago, and therapy was definitely not as 
I mean, now it's like, oh, I have a hangnail. Oh, go call your therapist. I mean, and I'm not being flipped, but it, I mean, it was not um, how it was. And, you know, I was functioning at work, but it was really, really hard for me, but I knew I needed help. And that, um, I, I mean, I, I knew I couldn't go on. It was too painful to go on. And again, I wasn't even, didn't even have suicidal ideation. It was just like nothing. And um, I had a roommate that fortuitously actually ended up, she was a therapist and she connected me um, with this person. And, you know, in a lot of ways, she saved my life and gave me my life because it opened um, my eyes up to so many things. Yeah, you were, you were, you were, you were uh, surviving, but you weren't living. Oh, I wasn't sur-thriving, surviving and thriving as one of my guests said, yes. Uh, No, I was barely living. And again, I don't mean I was dead, but it, uh, you know, I think as somebody, who's listening is wondering if they're depressed and I'm curious if this is the same for you, but it likely is. It's really all of my senses shut down. You know, my comment, like, Oh my gosh, I'm seeing in color. Um, I had, I don't think if I'd walked by a rose bush, I would have smelled it. I certainly didn't taste food. You know, it's like, your brain is almost shut down. And I'm that's another thing. I'm a big believer in enjoying your senses and being fully alive to the smell of garlic, if that's your thing, or fresh bread, or you know, or tasting that bite of chocolate, whatever. And if you can't do those things, I mean, if it's like you have no sense of taste or smell or touch or sight or hearing, it's you're not in a good place. No, no, you're absolutely correct. You know, for me, uh, nothing was appealing. Nothing. Yeah, was. nothing's appealing. That's a perfect way, Sean. I mean, just very simply put. And that's activities. That's seeing friends. That's food. Yeah. It's like nothing. It's yeah. appealing. I, you know, I, I, I've said this before on my show, and I'll say it here again. I used to, I used to just find myself sitting in my chair staring at a blank TV with nothing on for hours, just getting lost in the abyss. And it was like, I'm okay here. Right. And, and, you know, I, I had the feeling like, not that I wanted to die, but if I died right here, I would be okay with it. You know, it doesn't matter. But like, I was so stuck in my filth and my gunk and all that stuff that I was feeling and or the lack thereof. Of I feeling. was going to say you were feeling. Okay. Yeah, I was going to give you grief on that one. The, the memories that were going through or the lack of memories, you know, that it just none, nothing mattered. Nothing mattered at all. It was a fight to get up out of bed. It was a fight to get in the shower. It was a fight to eat. It was a fight to keep my eyes awake. Well, I also think while. you hit something. You didn't use this word, but it's both with the work that you're doing and that I do is that isolation. Yeah. And when you have, when sensory input doesn't impact you or reach you or whatever, and you, if you have depression on top of it, the black hole too, 
isolation is just kind of where you go naturally. I mean, <laughs> um, so I see that's another warning sign yeah. um, with people. And, and when I'm working with some of my clients or whatever, you know, if they're at the point of really isolating, they may need therapy. It may not be a coach. Uh, Cause I, that, that's kind of one of my little, you know, yeah. check boxes in my head. And I'm Absolutely. sure with the addiction piece, you can speak to that totally. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I think one of the other things, and this is something I've reflected on as well is, is like the, the, the effects of the substance stay in your body for at least two years. Right. So yes. in that, in that time I was stuck in that two year buffer Right. So like I didn't have a substance in my system, but I did have the effects of the substance in my system or a lack thereof. So a lot of that residual um, side effects of those uh, of that substance were just, it was just draining me. And I didn't I, I, I couldn't figure out like how to how to alleviate the problem. But anyways, Al-Anon, what got you into Al-Anon? Well, I like. Probably, I know you, the statistic is probably at your fingertips, but anecdotally, just having lived life, I would say probably 95% of people have dealt with some kind of substance abuse in their <laughs> circle of family and friends. I just don't think, uh, is that accurate? I mean, you can tell yeah. me if I'm wrong. You could just say about. it's 100 and I would believe you. <laughs> but I did have a um, couple of family members and friends who... Um, were very active with various substances, which created an incredible amount of chaos in my life, as well as theirs. Sometimes I wasn't so charitable about seeing uh, <laughs> that it was both sides. It was a little more the part that was all about me. Um, and I, um, again, I knew to survive. I had to do something and ended up going to Al-Anon. And one of my real pieces that I had to look at was how good a codependent I am. <laughs> yeah. And I used to think that was actually kind of a good thing because I could keep everything running and pick up the slack and keep going and try to figure out how to get my loved ones to not get their substances. And Oh, I was so good at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and either fortunately or unfortunately, uh, Alan kind of pointed out to me that that was not a perfect role to be playing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's also, you know, one of life's little ironies, whoever higher power is up there, just how perfectly they put the puzzle pieces together. It's like, oh, this person is this and this is this. They're going to be a match made in heaven, you know, whether it's your boss or your your sibling or your spouse or whatever. Yep. <laughs> and those puzzle pieces fit pretty well. Yeah. So um, kind of an aside, it's uh, my dearest group of, 
I would call them my friend, my intimate friend circle, you know, mm-hmm. like they're the ones I call up and bitch and moan to and they tell me yeah. to get over myself, you know, the ones <laughs> tell you the truth. Yeah. And, and that's about anything in life. It could be my aging dog who's incontinent that I get tired of dealing with. But um, one of the people put us together because we had all put, put a loved one in rehab mm-hmm. and it has, and this now has been a number of years. It's like the informal Al-Anon group. And let me tell you, when we get together, there is not, I don't know anybody who pounces on me faster when they think I'm full of SHIT. You know what I mean? But yep. it's like a shorthand. It's a way of living. I can't say enough about it. Okay. Um, the whole program. And I think it's, um, you know, if I could do the world according to Anne Reed on how I think things should be done, <laughs> I think the basic principles of AA and Elanon should be taught in school, along with math and computers and whatever else. I mean, the, to me, it is a sane, balanced way to live life and take care of yourself and be compassionate for others. Absolutely. You know, uh, I was looking at, at the AA program and my dad uh, pointed out to me, he said, you know, uh, AA is life one-on-one. He's like, if you what? remove life, what? life one-on-one. Yeah, it is. He, he said, he said, if you remove alcohol from it and you replace it with anything, yes. that's life one-on-one. He's like, it, that book can teach you how to live your life and live it purposefully. And I was like, well, no, <laughs> no. But he was right. He's absolutely right. And and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I too believe that that Al-Anon and AA principles should be taught in schools. It's, you know, it's it's very important for for uh, younger people to to learn those life lessons or, or, you know, at least hear about them. Well, I mean, there's not, in fact a couple of my shows and I don't sit there. My most of my shows are not addiction related, though there was one two weeks ago and there's going to be one upcoming um, but I think the serenity prayer is some of the greatest prose ever written. Oh, and yeah. where I struggle with it is the wisdom to know the difference, you know, accepting what you can't change and changing what you can. But it's just so simple, so succinct and so powerful. That... And, you know, for me, and my harder piece being type A and trying to fix everything was really learning to accept in myself and others that which I could not change. Yeah. That serenity prayer has changed my life. Like I've got, I've had points where it's just been, there's been really hard days and I got my 24 hour coin and I'm holding it in my hand. I'm like, all right, here we go. This has got to work because nothing else is working for me. Nothing's working for me and it changed. And, and I said it over and over and over and over again until I was okay. And that, that to me was one of the biggest benefits of my early recovery. Wow. Yeah. It's, I don't, and it was not someone in AA who wrote that. I think it was a priest or somebody that had had written it originally. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, one of the other things, if I'm going to tout AA and Alan on here is I know so many people who have the excuse that they don't want to go because of 
God. But in the time that I've been around it, I mean, even when I first started going, there, it's pretty much been changed to higher power. It's whoever and whatever you believe in. Yeah. And, you know, yes, it was Bill Wilson and forget the other guy were, uh, Dr. Bob. yeah, Dr. Bob were Christian. And so it came out of their Christian faith, but it's, you know, the people in the world that I have personally known who were the most hopeless, and I don't mean hopeless and that they necessarily had a bad life, but they had, they didn't have hope for things yeah. to be better, I guess is how I should put it. And they don't believe in anything. And it's been fascinating to me. I mean, I can list probably seven or eight people. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, I think belief systems and what you believe in is 100% personal. But I don't know how you get through life not thinking that there's something yeah. that is bigger than we are. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, again, however somebody defines it. Yeah. Um, but not being able to get there and have that to hang on to. Mm -hmm. It's got to be hard. Absolutely. You know, I, I I think that us alcoholics and addicts prior to getting into recovery, we will find every excuse not to get better. Really? Oh, 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 it's it's the God thing. God thing does it for me. Oh, no, it's the meetings are in a church. Oh, the meetings are not in a church. Oh, yeah, I just can't get a ride. Oh, I don't have money for the bus. And it's like, we will make every excuse not to step through those yeah. doors because we know when we step through those doors everything's done and, and no we we have no excuses because the people in those rooms are going to hold us accountable and so yeah it's it's just absolutely insane but also you were hitting on the topic of the higher power you know there's a chapter in the in the a big book uh, called we agnostics and and it talks about the the choice of higher power and 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 the need to believe in something and something, something bigger and outside yourself. It, yeah, it, it could be the chair I'm sitting in right now. It could be this microphone that we're talking through, right? Just something that, that gets you through your day and, and is bigger than you. Yeah. So uh, before we move on, um, do, would you like to explain what Al-Anon is? Because everybody knows what AA is. Maybe not everybody knows what Al-Anon is. This is my definition. You can correct me. Okay. <laughs> Al-Anon is for people who are impacted by those in their orbit. And again, it can be your spouse, it can be your child, mm -hmm. can be a friend, can be boss, coworker, whatever. But in your system, who is you actively using some kind of substances yep. and Absolutely. creating chaos in both of your lives. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Is that an okay definition? Do I get an A on that? You get That's an A. That's how I look at it. <laughs> you get an A. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, so uh, what are you doing now um, to, to help out people around you? I know you said you're a coach and you got a podcast. What else are you doing? Well, I have taken, you know, it's kind of like every decade I say I'm going to decide what I be when I grow up. <laughs> which has been kind of fun because I've done many things. 
but I just, I feel now in the last couple of years that I am doing what I was put here to do. It's like a deep feeling. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's not euphoric. It's not whatever. It's just like a deep knowing. And it's really kind of an amalgamate of all the things I've experienced in my life and all the things I've done wrong. Hey, doing something wrong or failing is the best teacher in the world. I, I recommend it, actually. <laughs> but then take the lesson and move on. Um, I just, you know, because I do, I draw from family systems therapy. I actually have an MBA and spent a lot of time in finance and real estate and stuff, too. But um, I draw from family systems therapy. I draw from the... Al-Anon experiences. I've done a couple of coach training programs. And I really, there are things we can, each of us can do every day that can make our lives better. And again, I, I'm not aiming for perfection. I can't tell you that I've ever had one perfect day in my life. And if you tell me that, if you think you have, I want to hear about it because. Nope. But. It's, we don't have to let adversity make us miserable. Yeah. And I, I'm always very careful in my podcast or in my speaking or whatever. It's, we are human. We do have to experience negative emotions. I mean, it's part of the human experience. So I'm not the you know oh let's go be happy today it's um that doesn't work very well no. uh and the noise the people around you too the um but you lose somebody that hurts there's grief or your son doesn't get into the college he wanted to go to you're disappointed yeah. you know that's okay those are legitimate but you have a choice for to go into depression or worry or spiral or whatever else and make it ruin your day. Yeah. And that doesn't mean again with grief or loss or, you know, with pain or, you know, being diagnosed uh, with PTSD or an autoimmune disease or something that doesn't mean you don't have some processing to do and whatever and handling it, but it does mean. And from my worldview and experience, that you can decide to be grateful for what you have or you know your dog comes up and licks your face which makes them really happy and you only slightly annoyed which is secretly <laughs> kind of you know thrilled that they like you that much yeah so um it's a balance you know charles swindell has a um a saying that life is 10 percent what happens to you and 90% how you react. And we're in charge of how we react and what our attitudes are. And that's a pretty close quote. It's not exact, but, you know, and that's something, that's an aside. I don't do New Year's resolutions. I pick no. one theme to work on each year. 
And this was the first quote that I tried. And boy, is it amazing how many times that how I'm reacting to what's happening around me impacted my mood and my outlook and ultimately my ability to function. Because when you're in a bad place or worrying or angry or whatever else, you're not showing up as your best self and being your most productive and loving. No. I, you know, I, when, when we talk about happiness and stuff, I actually, in a group that I, I facilitate, um, that was the topic last week was, uh, really? how do you, how do you find your happiness? I'd and, love to or, come when you do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I really got to thinking about it and, and, you know, you talked about that, uh, being happy to a degree is a choice and, and, you know, I, I have to agree with you, but it, it goes a little bit further than that. We have a choice to allow those, 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 uh, those diagnosis. And we have a choice to allow those side effects to rule our life, right? Yeah. And to like completely take control of our life. Or we, we have the, the choice to look at those and say, okay, this is just a product of the symptom of the diagnosis that I have, and it doesn't have to rule my life. Well, I read, I, I word it a little bit differently. I say, we sometimes allow the things that happen to us to become our story. Ooh, that's good. We, we become us yeah. as opposed to a part of the continuum of our lives. Yeah. I also a hundred percent believe that we can always come out a better person mm -hmm. it, having gone through things we likely would not, you know, if we were doing a checklist, like, oh yeah, be an alcoholic, wouldn't check that as a yes or, yeah. you know, yeah. but those are the things that give us our humanness and our depth, our empathy and compassion and really our gifts to then give back to other people. Absolutely. Uh, one last thing before we move on. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, and I've talked to a counselor about this, and I don't know that you've noticed, but when somebody gets a diagnosis, right, let's say that they're diagnosed uh, with depression, right, or anxiety. The one thing that I've noticed is that when they are, when people are aware of their diagnosis, they start to, it, it's like their symptoms amp up and ramp up. Like they're hyper fixated on I'm, I'm diagnosed with depressed. So now I have to be depressed because that's what I have, or I have anxiety. That's what I have to have. And because I am, you know, I have to act anxious because I am I diagnosed with anxiety. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And it's sort of like, the first year of med school when the students have every disease that they're studying about. Yeah. <laughs> every symptom. <laughs> it's um I I I don't know. I have a couple of thoughts on that. I agree that you see that in the majority of people. I think I'm gonna be fair. I think some of it is the processing. I also think that there's some things that you get diagnosed with where you've had symptoms and you may have been living with them for a while. Like my brother was diagnosed with MS 
And in hindsight, he was like, yeah, you know, this happened and that happened like the preceding five years. And sometimes I think it allows the person to make sense of where they ended up to get the diagnosis. But then I think like Robert Frost, who roads diverged in a yellow wood. I think they're the group that then start living that story, as I said, or that story becomes them as opposed to them just living it. And then they're the group that can kind of move on. It's like, okay, well, I have MS. It's yeah. my example. Now, what do I do? You know, I get more sleep. I get acupuncture. I stay away from fatty foods. I make the choice to take or not take the medications and make sure, you know. Mm -hmm. So I don't disagree with you. I think it is something that almost all of us have initially. Mm -hmm. But then do people want the drama of hanging on to it? Is that true? Sure. Makes sense to you, Sean? Oh, Bye. absolutely. It makes 100% sense. Okay. So before we go, Anne, what suggestions or advice would you give to people that are uh, currently suffering from uh, depression, anxiety, and they want help? Reach out. That would be my very first one. And the Opposite of that is do not isolate. We are mammals. We do crave connection. I am totally empathetic that when you feel at your worst, you're feeling less than, you're probably comparing yourself to others. You may not have a lot of energy. You feel helpless and hopeless. And guess what? If you don't reach out, you're going to continue to feel that way. So, and I define reaching out in many ways. Um, if you have a trouble with drugs and alcohol, you know, but AA and Al-Anon, whatever that Sean and I've discussed, I think is great. There are other programs and groups can deal with it. Um, if you think you're struggling with mental illness or those around you, definitely go get diagnosed. Um, if you're feeling physical pain or bizarre symptoms, I mean, one of my guests in hindsight had been living with uh, signs of colorectal cancer for quite a while, and he almost didn't make it. <laughs> um, so you, and I know this is hard. I think we're least likely to trust ourselves when we're having problems and in crisis. Would you agree? Like when you were active, were you, did you trust your decision-making? Nope. Uh, <laughs> not in one bit. So it's that piece of kind of turning over and saying, I can't do this myself, whatever it is, whatever reason, go get help. Um, and again, help. It could be your best friend. It could be your parents. Pick someone stable <laughs> and not necessarily with the same bad habits you have. Um, but 
the longer you isolate and don't address whatever it, remember you're going to see the symptoms before you see the diagnosis or disease or whatever so earlier intervention on anything is better yeah i agree so i mean that's my two cents and it's not easy sean i you know you're feeling bad you don't trust yourself it you know it's not the time yeah. that intuitively you want to if, if you're if you're having a hard time trusting yourself or you're having a hard time trusting other people too yeah and i think there's also you know, we were talking about the sur thriving, the merely survival. I think a lot of times when you get there again, whether it's a mental illness or something physical or substance abuse or whatever, you don't necessarily have the energy sometimes either because everything is just going into almost that daily survival. Absolutely. I mean, I have a lot of compassion, particularly for substance abuse, because we had spoken earlier about the genetic component. I mean, it's definitely some environmental some genetic but um yeah. you know the one thing yeah. i can guarantee is you probably won't get better on your own no you're 100 correct but miss ann where where can we find you at all right well this time i actually remembered to bring up <laughs> my because i never remember on instagram I'm at Reed, and Reed is R-E-I-D. So at Reed Coaching, LinkedIn and Pinterest are both Anne, A-N-N-E, Reed, R-E-I-D. My website is reedcoaching.com. Facebook is at Anne Reed Coaching 111. And my TV show is on Bold Brave TV, um, and it's backslash Be Happier. But I'm also out on 30 platforms, Spotify, Roku, Amazon Podcast, Fire, uh, Soon to Be TV, et cetera, et cetera. So you can you find do. me. And you I do private clients. I'm setting up a couple of group things. Um, and I love doing speaking. I also love hearing if I inspired or gave somebody hope because that's really what I want to do. Well, and you've definitely inspired me. Thank I enjoyed you. I enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for hanging out with me for this hour. And congratulations on doing most things we've talked about, Sean. Your life is totally different, right? <laughs> it really is. It really is. And thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And everybody, I want to thank you guys for hanging out with us for this hour and uh, and listening to Anne share her experience, strength, and hope with us and what she's doing now. And uh, till next time, I hope you guys have a good night, good day. Bye.